Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio, it's time for Family Business Radio. Showcasing outstanding family businesses and the advisors who assist them. Good afternoon. You are listening to Family Business Radio. I am your host, Anthony Chen. Today we have three great guests and businesses coming with us today. First, we will have John Marsh with the Bristol Group. John, welcome to the show. Hey, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on to the show. So digging right into it, John, what got you into the business you are in today? Yeah, thanks for asking. So I uh, started my career as an accountant with Ernst & Young and then Fraser & Dieter here in town, and I realized very quickly that uh, I was not suited for sitting behind a computer all day, but I loved serving clients. Uh, being in front of the clients was an important aspect of uh, of, of uh, feeling like I was contributing to their future and their success. And, you know, every personality test I took as a kid said that I should be a firefighter or police officer or social worker. And uh, maybe I just don't have the guts for those, but I do want to add value. So, um, yeah, was with Fraser and Dieter, Ernst and & Young, and, and did the accounting track and uh, and then moved into a CFO role where I was uh, serving, uh, you know, our shareholders and the employees there. And we did a number of uh, transactions over $360 million worth and really fell in love with M&A. So really here now to bring that, you know, trust before a transaction to uh, my clients and add value to them as they really uh, transition ownership on one of their most important assets, their, their business. Now, was this something that you knew you were eventually go into in opening up your own business brokerage or is it a series of events that kind of knocked you on the head and go, Hey, this would be something I should uh, explore into. Yeah, no, that's a good question. I don't know if there's a good answer for that other than, you know, I, I had the ability to look back on my career and really say, Hey, what did I enjoy doing? And where did I feel the most uh, professional fulfillment? You know, I'm a firm believer in that, um, work doesn't have to be a four letter word. You can enjoy what you do and, uh, talking to folks, helping them solve their problems and ultimately, uh, helping them succeed in transitioning that value and, and getting monetizing the time they've spent on their business is, is rewarding to me. We at the Bristol group are, uh, success fee based. So we don't charge for our brokers opinions of value. We don't do consulting uh, or we don't trade time for money. We obviously, as a part of that relationship, are happy to give our advice. But we really, we, we get paid on a commission and that success fee. So we get paid at the closing table when the, um, the client is hopefully getting uh, a sum of money that they're happy with. Uh, that's when we get uh, our fee. So we're, we're aligned from that perspective and that, it really needs to be a win-win-win. So I kind of took your question and ran with it. There's really no th- one thing in my background that led me to that other than I feel like this market is a little bit underserved. When I left uh, the spine company that I was with for 10 years after a sale to a private equity firm, I decided that you know I really wanted to, to do my own thing. And, and, and this uh, business broker, Gemini Advisory, was a good progression for me. So... Um, I, I guess the universe uh, kind of led me into this. Um, uh, although I am a little upset that the universe decided to lead me into it in January of 2020, <laughs> but we have seen some really exciting things for our clients during this 
uh, these challenging times. So uh, it's been pretty good. So can you tell us a little bit more of what is the Bristol Group for those who are listening who might not know? Yeah, so the Bristol Group's a boutique brokerage firm. Uh, we've got brokers around the country. Um, so I'm an I'm an, an affiliate of the Bristol Group. So I own and operate my own practice here in Atlanta, Georgia. But I thought it was important for me to have some back office support, some marketing support, and a group of like-minded individuals to bounce ideas off of. I also think it's important for a client that they get the support of multiple brokers who can come at this from different perspectives. So while I feel like I'm very capable, it's also nice to have a team that, hey, uh, you know, I've got a situation that uh, I haven't seen before. How would you approach this? And we've got a group that that really teams up and helps each other solve our solves those problems together. So you know, another aspect of it is we're doing brokers' opinions of value, and 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 we want to get those right. You know. The goal of that broker's opinion is to show the most probable sales price for the company. And it's important for that to go through um, review. So we send that up. Multiple brokers within the office look at those brokers' opinions of value before I share them with the client. So the client gets the personal attention uh, from me, but they also get the support of a larger organization. And the biggest thing, Anthony, is the Bristol Group has a large number of pre-qualified buyers. While we expressly represent our sellers, that's who who we represent, we also have to be working with buyers so that we have a better chance of selling those businesses uh, more efficiently. So that's part of the reason I joined. These guys have a great group of uh, pre-qualified buyers, including strategic, financial, and individual acquirers. Um, and, and, you know, that was another aspect, you know, getting together with a group that, that, that has developed a great reputation and a great network was important to me. So what, what is kind of your overall service offerings other than, of course, representing uh, yourself? Yeah. So again, trust before the transaction. So I'm here to be a resource for my clients, whether they're ready to sell tomorrow or in the next five years. So we are only compensated, like I said, on the success fee uh, model, but we are also here to help uh, in any way that we can. Obviously, we're, we're knowledgeable about what makes a business sellable. So it's important that a business owner enters into a conversation with a trusted advisor like the Bristol Group, like me, um, or someone else out there who can help them understand what changes they might need to make today to make their business more valuable when they are ready to sell. So we see a lot of different things uh, daily. <laughs> and some of those things are, are lessons that we like to pass along to our clients so that they might not make the same mistake or their best practices. Well, while we might see something in a client's industry and pass that knowledge along, of course, under con- confidentiality to other clients who might benefit from making changes that we've seen in successful transactions. And then what is kind of the importance of working with a business broker? What if someone says, oh, well, I can just look for businesses by myself? Yeah, and that's great. That's, that's I, you know, but it's proven that, that you're going to be more successful. You're going to sell your business at a higher price and you're going to sell it faster uh, if you work with a qualified uh, expert who focuses on this. Um, you know, just remember a business broker usually helps you in many phases of, 
selling the business. You can't just put a, a for sale sign out in the front of your business. You can't advertise to your employees, customers, and vendors that you're for sale. That can obviously have impacts on your go forward business if you can't reach a deal. But a business broker is going to maintain that book of qualified buyers who are looking for deals. We're also going to determine the most probable sales price. We're going to help you negotiate a letter of intent. And the selling process, as you can imagine, is very emotional. You know, you're working, we're working with business owners who've, in a lot of cases, built this from nothing into something that's substantial. So it's hard for them to remain objective. It's hard for them to, uh, you know, not take some of the things that the buyer might be uh, including in a letter of intent or in the asset purchase agreement personally. So we remain objective. We help keep it confidential. We don't let uh, a business owner put that for sale sign now. We, we do make sure that our buyers sign non-disclosure agreements and they're qualified prior to us sharing anything about the business. We help structure the deal. We help arrange financing. You know, a lot of the businesses, a majority of the businesses that are listed for sale uh, don't sell. And a lot of those are done without a business broker. So it's important for us to not only help the seller, but it's also important for us to be a resource for the buyer. We work with bankers. We work with insurance agents. We work with attorneys. Um, So, you know, we've got some background. We do this every day. Um, So, you know, a a good business broker will help you sell your business uh, the right way, help mitigate your risk and help you increase. um, They'll ultimately increase the transaction value. So since you mentioned about the selling price or business owners who are looking to to sell, and sometimes, of course, they can't help you emotionally invest in coming in with more of an objective analysis. How do you um, determine the selling price? the business yeah so one of the things that we do is determine uh the most probable sales price and we do that through a broker's opinion of value um you know we're obviously going to go out and pull comps we're going to look at historical sales of businesses in similar industries Uh, my background as a reformed accountant uh, helps me to recast those financials uh, so that we make sure we've got the right ad backs for EBITDA. We can show an adjusted EBITDA, taking out those one-time expenses. Uh, we can get seller's discretionary earnings down correctly. And multiples applied to those metrics, revenue, EBITDA, and uh, SDE are important. So we'll identify those. Then we'll also run it through a couple other mes- methodologies um, and 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 really look at that. Valuations are part art and part science, right? We can all look at multiples and say, okay, here's what a similar business sold for. But what about the revenue trends? What about the customer concentration? What about, um, you know, different things that, that the business has experienced? How do you address those? So we do that a lot. I do that a lot, but that's the also, that's the other aspect that I like about having a team of folks who've been doing this for a number of years who have different industry expertise. Um, we make sure that we try to get an accurate value out there. We don't try to manage that. We try to give the most probable sales price. Um, so yeah, I hope that answers your question, Anthony. Yeah, certainly. So since you mentioned of having the best of timing starting this year and in the business brokerage business in January, 2020, uh, what are you seeing uh, in today's current uh, COVID environment? 
Yeah, it's it's been a little. Uh, it's been obviously interesting. Um, there were you know a couple phases. The first was um, you know folks kind of curling up in the fetal position in their home office, wherever that was, whether that's a converted closet or their basement. Um, the second phase was you know figuring out the government assistance and the PPP loans and understanding you know what they have access to, how to apply for those. Um, and then really the third was kind of coming out of it and, and, and identifying, you know, how businesses can evolve or adapt to the market conditions. So, you know, we're also seeing there's a lot of opportunity, uh, buyers, uh, are out there. I've got two deals, uh, that, uh, are recent that went under a full price letter of intent and under a month, both of them. So, one of them, well, actually both of them had multiple LOIs. So for the right deal, there's still money out there and there's still people interested in acquiring those companies. So I like to tell my clients that, you know, let's go ahead and begin the process of getting to know each other and building that trusting relationship. Let's go ahead and get that valuation done. And the market's going to change. Nobody really predicted COVID and that that would have the impact. And some businesses, of course, have been dramatically impacted in our hospitality, restaurant businesses. Um, So those those businesses, unfortunately, have have changed from, you know, maybe being very sellable and profitable in the fourth quarter of 2019 and even in January and February of this year to quickly uh, going through challenging times. Um, so to answer your question, the right businesses are still sellable. Um, I don't mean to discount and, and be insensitive to the folks who are struggling because a lot of businesses are, uh, but I'm hopeful that, um, we'll come out of this even stronger than ever. And how best can someone find you and your business and looking for your guidance? Yeah, no, thanks, Anthony. I can be reached, um, on my, uh, office line at 404 404- Four three six one zero seven one. Folks can reach me via email at jmarsh at bristolgroupatl.com or they can go to the website, which is bristolgrouponline.com. I can also be found on LinkedIn. I've got my COVID cut going on there. I shaved my head and grew a beard. Uh, so I need to update that photo. But yeah, uh, phone, email, LinkedIn, they're all great resources. Yeah, so I, I can uh, piggyback on that. I got a COVID cut as well, bar buzzer, and then well, our <laughs> listeners can't uh, see us right now, but we, I think we, everyone can relate working in from home. Well, you know, one thing I learned very quickly was that my wife is an amazing person, which I knew before, but I learned that she's not a great barber. So oh. <laughs> uh, I had to buy a mirror from Amazon and, and handle the maintenance on the backside of my head myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm joking. I hope you edit that out of this. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get on. We'll get on. Well, thank you, John. <laughs> thank you, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Now, next guest, speaking of accountants, we have Cheryl Glazers with Glazers and Associates. Hi, Cheryl. Welcome to the show. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. And yourself? Great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So getting right, right into the thick of things, what got you into accounting? Well, I did the corporate thing. I worked for two large Fortune 500 firms. And then went to work for some small independent companies, and I learned a lot um, from both sides. And when I was given the option to move to Florida, uh, I was director of finance for a small firm, and I said, no, my family, everybody's here in Atlanta. 
So that was my time to say, I think I'm ready to go out on my own. And um, that's what I did, you know, started out in the corner of the living room uh, with my desk and computer and said, okay, I'm going to hang my shingle, so to speak, and just started calling friends that were CPAs and said, hey, uh, you have any clients that need accounting work done? And and that's how it started. It's kind of funny, kind of, we're now back. Oh, circle back to where we were, where you started. You know, mm-hmm. Now almost everybody mm-hmm. <laughs> is yes. working in a living room in a way. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, it, as you're kind of growing your, your accounting practice, uh, did you find naturally over time something that you like focusing on industries-wise or, or narrowing down your services? Yes, because as most companies, when they start, you anybody that calls you as a client and um, you just – and then you start whittling down and, and realizing not everyone is a client. And so over time, um, I've had this business since uh, 2006. So um, it just has evolved and you start listening to what your clients needs are. So your services even evolve. So um, we have everyone from sales consultants uh, to attorneys to medical practices uh, we have nonprofits. So we, we have a varied book of business, um, which is great because we've also learned a lot about different accounting rules and different methodologies for doing for doing our work. So kind of breaking the, the stereotype of accountants, because a lot of people <laughs> think, oh, you guys just make sure the numbers and, 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 and the books balance. But share with yes. us a little like behind the scenes. If I'm a new client coming to you, what, what yes. does that look like? Um, what that looks like is we want to get to know you um, and your business. And part of that is breaking down. Um, we're looking at all aspects. So we're going to pull. We want to see your uh, your balance sheet and your P&L. We want to know who your CPA is. Uh, since we do not do taxes, uh, we do contact the CPA because we want to make sure the books are done the way that they want them done. Because we don't normally know people's personal aspects that go into doing the numbers. So we want to get to know the firm. So we start asking a lot of questions. Um, You know, if it looks like people are taking a lot of funds out of the business, we want to know why, you know, what kind of entity they are. Uh, We want to know what kind of debt structure that they have. Uh, It's just very various things like that, that, that we're doing with our client, because believe it or not, every client is different and everyone has their own little quirk or their own little reasoning for things. And, you know, some things we have to advise them, um, you're kind of going over that gray area into the not so good area with your with your funds and your decisions. And so part of our job is not just putting numbers on a spreadsheet. It's it's talking to the clients and walking them through different things. And especially this year, it's been very um, um, worthwhile with trying to really help the clients with PPP as much as we can and just trying to keep things so uh, clients know where they are with their with their numbers. Mm-hmm. So, other than of course the big elephant in the room with, with yes. the PPP, where I, I imagine the, is that kind of the the biggest demand question and aid that you're uh, getting from your clients. You know, it's funny uh, in the sense of some clients chose not to do PPP. They don't. They didn't want it. They they wanted just to keep going. They didn't want. They, they didn't want it. They just felt they didn't need it. And some did not need it. 
Um, other clients, you know, were full board and took it. And some really, really needed it, especially any restaurant clients. They truly needed it. And so it's just a matter of helping them keep things um, segmented based on the PPP rules that, of course, keep evolving. But it's there's going to be standard practices. So we help them to make sure that their accounting file and their data is kept up to date so that um, they can have it forgiven if it should be forgiven. And so that's part of our role with helping the client because most clients are good at what they do, whatever widget it is that they're in, um, but they're not accountants and they don't really, it, it boggles them to get things like, I don't know what, you know, I don't know what to do. My bank wants this. What are they talking about? And we just try to walk them through it. Sometimes we talk to the banker directly. What is it exactly that you need? Um, same with the CPA. What exactly do you need? And then we try to help the client put that all together so that so that the stress is really taken off of the client and put onto us to help them. Um, because in the end of the day, they're trying to make their business successful, and they're looking at the big, they're looking at more of a big picture where we can look more at the, some of the minutia that that has to be done. Since you mentioned uh, about working with the bank and helping them mm-hmm. kind of navigate or even perhaps even translate some of the financial yes. or accounting yes. lingo, uh, yes. would you say that it's also best that they also introduce you connecting with their bank or if they don't have a banker yes. to establish some kind of relationship? Yes. And we really, really found this to be true. Um, I've always made it kind of my role, um, even with my own firm, to have a good relationship with the banker because a banker is going to be able to tell you um, some things that you need, that they need in order to, if you need lines of credit, just even some of the small things that you, that you don't even think about. Uh, if you have a good relationship with your banker and something happens and a money didn't come in or transfer correctly, where they might waive fees for you. Um, you know, so it, it's, it's all relationship driven. Um, and there's a big difference between some of the big banks, honestly, and more community-based banks. And um, I found, you know, when I started, I did like everybody else. I went to big bank because, you know, they're everywhere and all this stuff. And and then, you know, when I realized I had a credit union, a personal credit union account, and they said, well, we have a business. Division. Oh, really? So I started there. And, and, I, and I'm also a believer in diversifying to some extent. So... Um, I don't keep all my eggs in one basket. And so I think that, so you have a good relationship with a couple bankers and um, because every bank has different, you know, interest rates they might pay or different fee structures. But I truly believe, um, example with PPP, clients that were with some of the huge major banks couldn't get a banker on the phone, couldn't talk to a banker, couldn't, didn't know what to do. They were directed to go to this website and they're not numbers people. So they're like, what, what do you mean a website? I, I, I don't even understand what you need versus some of the smaller community banks that I work with. They would email me like, Hey, um, I need this from your client. Can you send me this report? We're trying to get this loan through. Sure. And, and so, you know, of course the client's given approval for us to do so. And we're working directly with that banker. And some of those some of my clients were able to get things approved in less than a week. I mean, it was just, some of it was very quick because they were through the week, we're getting things to them so that when they knew it was going to be released, it's basically, okay, it's funded in two days. That that's a big difference. And so, um, so I do like working with some of the smaller community banks for, for some of those reasons. Well, you kind of uh, 
answer the next question I had was kind of explain to us or give an example of the differences yes. in having yes. a relationship or robust yes. relationship and yep. not. And it sounds like there's a world of difference right there in terms of the service. Yes. And I, I think that, you know, and some people require a large bank. And so some of my clients do have one big bank they work with, and then they'll have a community bank for some other things. And I think that that that's fine. Um, I just I know that it's my business is relationship driven, and I feel that I want to work with bankers that are relationship driven, and not just a number. I don't want to be number one million that came in the door. And I like when I walk in the bank, when you can walk in a bank these days, yes. um, that they actually know me, and they I don't have to fill out deposit tickets. Or, I mean, they already know who I am. They've pulled it up. They may just ask which account do you want it in. Boom, and and you're done. I can email and say, hey, I have a question on this, and I get a response, you know, within a you know pretty short period of time. And so, um, so I think that's a, a big difference. And that's not to knock large banks because large banks actually do, you know, they have a large uh, a service to the community. I just for some clients, I think it, it is worthwhile for them to have, work with smaller banks. Mm-hmm. So, kind of looking into the future, then what is <laughs> one thing that a business owner can do that would uh, have a guaranteed impact on the business going 2021 and beyond? One of my biggest things is to understand their balance sheet. Um, people love to pull a P&L and say, oh, I have this. And then they don't understand how come this isn't what I have in the bank. And, you know, like, you know, oh, my P&L says I made $100,000, but I only have 10000 in the bank or the or clients that call get excited because they got it. Somebody paid them. And you have to remind them, well, yes, but you have these contractors to pay. You have these debts to pay. You have tax to pay or something. And, you know, I'll have a client that'll say, well, I really don't like talking to you. You, you know, you've kind of uh, <laughs> not made it really nice that I just got a $30,000 check. And so. So we're big on we start with a balance sheet and really help them understand their balance sheet, where their money is, where their assets are, what loans they have. People tend to forget the debts that they have, uh, forget that that is pretty impactful on their um, on their business. And so part of what we do, we do general accounting and bookkeeping, but we also really try to help the client uh, understand their number, um, doing controllership doing, um, they may have staff members in their office, but we act as accounting managers. So their person in the office, we're checking behind them sort of as an to audit proof things, um, asking a lot of questions, but then their staff person also can come to us. So we try to help the client. I look at it, you know, I worked for Fortune 500 and there's a, a ton of us accountants that were working there. And I try to think of it for the um, smaller to mid-sized company to have that Fortune 500 feel about their business, that they can call somebody and and ask, like, I don't understand why this is like this. And then you can break down, well, it's these entries or this is what you did. Is this correct? Is it, you know, and then, you know, sometimes you find like s- small things, but they're paying subscription fees that they forgot they've been paying for years. And it's like, well, you're paying two or $300 a month in various subscriptions. And they, people don't look at it because it's two or $300, but it's some of the small things that some of the things think travel and meals out and how many times they go to coffee every day. And, and you start really talking to them and they are like amazed because they kind of forget. 
or how many people have access to their credit business credit cards and where's the money being spent and is it being spent correctly? Um, so it's, it's part of asking a lot of questions. So the business owner can, you know, think about their business as a whole picture. Sounds like you're going to a complete diagnosis, a whole body <laughs> for the business. It, it really is because, you know, as a, you know, as a business owner myself, I understand I have a lot of roles to play. Uh, you know, you're you're selling, you're doing your own numbers, you know, you're doing marketing campaigns, you're an HR person. I mean, you have all these roles to play. And so that's why, you know, one of the reasons I do the outsourcing is because most or a good bit of business owners don't really know um, accounting and finance. So, so what by outsourcing it, they get the benefit of like you would have a Fortune 500 company, but on a fractional basis because they don't need a full-time person to, to do controllership or accounting or bookkeeping services. And that's where we can help them so that uh, they can worry about whatever their, their uh, services that they're, that they're selling and, and working on every day. So if someone is looking for a relationship with their accountant and someone who's able to look at the whole big picture, how Mm -hmm. fast can they find you? Well, they can find me. um, I have a website, blasebusiness.com. They can also contact me by phone. It's 770-852-8734. My email address is Cheryl at blaseaccounting.com. And Blase is B-L-A-Z-E-J. It's Blaze J. It's the best way to describe it. And um, those are the best ways to reach me. Great. Well, thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. And to wrap it all on up, we have our stylist, the style educator, Valencia Han. Welcome to the show, Valencia. Hi, Anthony. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming to the show. So kind of digging right into your story. What got you into becoming the stylist you are today? So I have my own experience with a makeover transformation, if you will. Um, after that, I started to get a lot of compliments and family and friends would always, you know, call me and reach out to me for different style advice for special events such as birthdays and different things like that. So I always jokingly say that I've done this passionately for as long as I can remember Um, But I would say around 2009, 2010, I discovered that it was an actual um, business career field, if you will, and um, decided to switch my major and take up business and also attended some workshops in New York City um, that really taught me more of the business part of being a stylist. Um, And after that, I just kind of hit the ground running in New York City. I interned, did a lot of work, um, and then later got back to working more one-on-one with your everyday people, if you will, um, because I feel like that's kind of where my heart was always at, being that I had always helped my family and friends. So I started my own image consulting firm in 2012, um, and I've been kind of moving along ever since. So what brought you from the stylish city of New York City down here to Georgia? Um, My husband and I relocated. Um, He wanted to launch his business, so we decided to uh, come down here together so that he can get his business started. And then I just, you know, had to restart mine. So that's basically how I ended up here. So kind of going into the business for a lot of people, they might have some 
preconceptions or stereotypes of what a stylist does. Can you kind of walk me through or listen through what it looks like from starting day one coming to you and uh, what that process would look like? So absolutely. So there are a few different stylists, if you will. So I consider myself a personal stylist. Um, A personal stylist is someone who just basically uh, helps your everyday people with their image, their style and their wardrobe, just pretty much like non-celebrities, if you will. And so that's the basis of being a personal stylist. And what happens is my clients, when they come to me, they have already made a choice and a decision that they're fed up, right? They're fed up with their wardrobe. They're fed up with their style and they're just frustrated and they really want to get a better insight and understanding of what clothing pieces, you know, work best for them. And so basically, like I said, they're just at that place where they're frustrated with their image as a whole and they want to seek out professional help to help them accomplish their goals moving forward. Um, and so that's basically how they get to me. It's, it's really much like a personal choice um, and decision that they make on their own uh, prior to reaching out. Now, for seeing the personal styles, do you focus a lot on people with leisurely wear or professional like business wear? Um, so we actually focus on a combination of both. Every client's uh, needs are different. So when they come to me, there's an assessment that's done. There's a complete intake process that we have to go through. Um, and so it would depend on their lifestyle and a few other things in terms of us deciding, okay, do you need more of a balance of one over the, over the other, such as your personal wardrobe or your professional wardrobe, if you will. Um, but we mainly help them with both. So some people do need to develop more of a professional wardrobe because they don't have clothes um, for their workplace or for whatever industry they're in. And then we have some people who spend a lot of time at work. And so therefore, they don't really have a lot of personal uh, a personal wardrobe for them to go and do things with their family or traveling and different things like that, you know, that are more full and more on the personal side. So it just would depend on what they need, but we absolutely help our clients um, get both. Now, do your services, is it something that you help advise them in terms of recommending types of clothing or do you kind of go shopping with them or kind of clean out their wardrobe because they might have a hundred kinds of attire, but then they say, oh, I got nothing to wear. Absolutely. So it's a combination of all of those things. So we provide uh, individualized um, style consulting. We do do closet and wardrobe organizing and personal shopping. So it's basically those services mixed together. Again, um, it is a client by client based need. So it just would depend on uh, what it is that they come to us with and what it is that we learn more about them, again, during the consultation, the intake process, if you will. But we do provide all of those services. It just depends on where they are and then how we want to consult with them and help them moving forward and accomplishing their goals. And so I would say a good 98% of our clients do end up getting all services. They do end up getting the consulting piece, which does recommend what clothing pieces work for them, as well as the things that they should stay away from. We do also come in and do the closet and wardrobe organization, you know, purging, telling them what they need to get rid of, recommending what they should donate, um, you know, and even some things that they may need to repair that are not necessarily bad things for them, but maybe it's a, a zipper on a pair of jeans that needs to be repaired or a button on a blazer. And then we also add the uh, personal shopping component, if you will, because now that we've done your closet and wardrobe clean out, we need to get you some new clothes, right? So yeah, so it's a, um, it's a, it's all of them together. 
Now, is there something that is most common, someone initially coming to you that have absolutely <laughs> no idea like, what they want? They just come to you in Valencia, just make me look good or not look drab. Absolutely. So our most popular service is the make me over package. Basically, this package is for clients who are like just what you said. They're like, Valencia, I need you. I want to be completely transformed. Um, not to a degree where they don't recognize themselves or they're uncomfortable. However, we want them to be more comfortable and be more confident moving forward when it comes to their image, when it comes to their wardrobe, and when it comes to what they're wearing. So along with my services as a stylist, I do also have a team of other beauty professionals, hairstylists, makeup. So what we do is um, we come together, we create a style plan, if you will, and will recommend, hey, maybe you should switch up your hair a little bit. It could be something that hasn't the client hasn't thought of or done in, let's just say, maybe 10, 15 years. They've been wearing the same hairstyle style along with wearing the same clothes. And so um, the stylist, the hairstylist, excuse me, will come in and will come up with um, something that's, again, customized to them, something that fits them. Um, and even with the makeup, we've had clients who either don't know how to apply their makeup properly, right? So we have the makeup artists come in and really teach them and uh, consult with them on that. And we've even had women who pl- apply a lot of makeup. And so we want to educate them as well on, okay, how to maybe minimize it a little bit. So that would be the most popular service that we offer, again, is our Make Me Over package. And it's the full makeover. And kind of how long would that whole process take? That process can take anywhere between a week to two weeks. Um, it's very quick. Um, and it's just a matter of scheduling with, uh, myself. And then, like I said, the other beauty um, professionals, so the hairstylist and the makeup artist, but we make it happen very um, quickly. The only reason why it's at a two week now is due to everything that's going on around us. We have like the whole mall closings and different things like that. So a lot of our shopping has kind of been done online, Um, More recently, but, you know, here in Georgia, things have reopened. We're still, you know, wanting to practice social distancing and making sure that we're being mindful of each other's health and and things like that. But um, it used to take quicker than that. It could be anywhere between a a 48 hour to a 72 hour turnaround process. But because of the state of our country, um, it's kind of made it just a little bit longer. But to some people, that may not seem long. That's two weeks still may be quick. So kind of looking into the new environment of, of doing business, uh, particularly for you, where it sounds like you have to at least be there in person for the client going through this process. Uh, what's the new process that you're putting into place now? So um, the great thing is, is that we have been able to successfully service our clients virtually. Um, I did have a virtual style package about five years ago, but as you mentioned, it is a very personable service. Um, and, you know, clients prefer to be in person. I love to be in person with my clients. I'm a people person myself. And you just get that full on experience. But um, I relaunched it and it's it's been very helpful. It's been very successful. Um, initially, it was kind of like a little weird, you know, but we've been able to work through it. Um, you know, thankful for technology. Um, and along with that, it's actually been able to help us to reach other clients that are not in the immediate Atlanta area, if you will. So we've been able to service people in other places. Um, So it's definitely had its pros as far as, um, you know, growing the business and attracting 
uh, more clients from other places and definitely making sure that we're still offering um, that A1 service to our clients. So I, I, I miss my clients. I miss being in person with them and working with them, but I'm still grateful that I can utilize um, the virtual experience to still help them meet all of their needs. So kind of going into, in the beginning, you mentioned about some people come to the conclusion themselves. That, okay, I need to probably freshen up my wardrobe or I need to look a little better or feel more comfortable. Um, how does one begin seeking out for someone like you, yourself? Is it something through a referral base or do they look for you online? How does one start that journey? So in the beginning, it was definitely a referral base um, before I moved down here to Georgia. Um, it was a referral base. People were familiar with me. Everyone knew me. Everyone knew what I did. And like I mentioned earlier, uh, I got a lot of compliments and things like that. But now that I'm here, it's been a combination of both. It's been a combination of people finding me word of mouth. And it's also been a combination of my networking online. So I've been able to leverage both, if you will. So kind of going with, with the referrals, it's because someone mentioned, hey, do you know a stylist or... Uh, well, I'm a guy, so I don't know how, how I could ask or say this without getting into trouble. But No, you're good. <laughs> but uh, you're say, good. Well, I know someone could probably freshen their wardrobe, but I don't know how to broach it. So so how do you, would you recommend a guy to kind of touch that well, touchy subject without offending anyone? No, you're, you're, I love that question because I know that when we are dealing with image and, and the level that I deal with it on, right, it has everything to do with the way people dress, which means that it has everything to do with trusting me with your body, right? And our bodies are an intimate thing to us that we don't want to just share or we don't want to just come out and say, hey, I, I, I don't know how to dress. And so there can be a lot of different uh, insecurities there, if you will. So it, it does take, that's why I say it takes for someone to make that choice. But to answer your question, um, it's basically like my clients are my walking billboard. And so when we provide our clients with any sort of make me over services, any sort of consulting services, people are going to see them. So that's just like if you were at work today or, you know, maybe if you showed up with a client and, and the next time someone saw you and you look complete, they'll be able to tell in a positive way, like, OK, something is different. It's almost like a wife going to get her hair done differently and she comes home and her husband's like, wait a minute, something's different, but I like it. So it's almost it's that form of my clients are like my walking billboard, if you will. That's just that's just how the referral process or excuse me, the conversation starts, if you will, of like, what did you do different? You know, I see that you look different. You look amazing. But what happened? And then they're like, oh, you know, I went ahead and hired a personal stylist. This is her name. This is her information. And from the online um, uh, viewpoint, I'm posting my client testimonials. I'm sharing their reviews and their experience with me, right? And so I'm also sharing my knowledge and my expertise um, in an authentic way so that people are like, oh man, I love how she said that. It's not like she's stepping on my toes when she's sharing style advice or tips on how to dress and things like that. So it makes them feel comfortable. It goes back to that like, no trusting. So with me being my authentic self and sharing the information in a way, it makes people feel comfortable because I'm not judging and I'm also not like, you know, shaming, excuse me, shaming anyone. It's almost just like, Hey, if you don't know, it's okay. You know, and I'm here to help type of thing. So to answer your question is mainly my clients are my walking billboards. And then the way that I'm presenting the information uh, online, it makes people feel more comfortable. It gets, it makes people feel more 
um, interested because there are a lot of stereotypes about people who are in any sort of fashion or beauty industry, if you will, that we can be uh, stuck up or, you know, the way that we, I don't know if people just feel, I don't know if people just feel like we're just out judging people all day. I, I don't know, but there's a lot of different uh, misconceptions about how we behave or how we've act. And I've even had people say to me, you know, you don't act like a stylist. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? I guess it's just maybe, you know, my disposition. And again, I'm a people person first. I like to have fun. You know, I know when to be serious and how to take care of my business, but um, it's just the authenticity. I think that shines through that and it makes people feel okay with having a conversation and letting me in and working with me eventually. Well, out of all that, what I specifically worthy of note is in terms of your clients being your personal billboards is I, I think the, the strongest litmus test that you mentioned was when the husband notices. It. <laughs> so, so that, I think that's a high litmus test or compliment uh, someone can get. So right. If someone wants to get their husband to notice, how best can they find you? They can definitely find me on the web. My website is ValenciaHolland.com. Um, and I'm going to spell my name. It's V-A-L-E-N-C-I-A. And it's Holland, like the country, H-O-L-L-A-N-D. They can also contact me directly at my telephone number, which is area code 203-936-8864. I know I did not change my Connecticut number yet that I'm in Atlanta. Um, and then they can also contact me via email. And that's info at my name again, ValenciaHolland.com. Well, thank you, Valencia. Thank you so much for having me, Anthony. Now, to kind of wrap it all on up, uh, I'd like to end with a quick question for uh, everyone. So based on the answers and questions, uh, the recurring theme today is really all about relationships, whether it be with their accountant, their business brokers, their bankers, or those who are looking to make them feel and look a little better. So as to kind of a kickoff ending for today's episode, uh, my question for everyone coming back is what is it one tip of advice as you're building your business that you would like to share with our listeners regarding to building relationships? Uh, we can start with you, John. Hey, yeah. Thanks, Anthony. I, I think the biggest thing that I've learned is to, is to give uh, and not really expect much in return. Um, I'm a big believer in the, you kind of get what you give. So um I'm really uh, trying to give as much as I can, and I know that uh, it'll come back to me. So check out The Go-Giver uh, by Bob Berg. It's a great book. But, uh, yeah, I guess that's my little tidbit. Great. Thank you. And Cheryl? Great. Yes, and I love The Go-Giver, by the way. I've read all the books. Um, I think that also it's, it is building the relationship with your client and understanding what your client needs because sometimes they don't need, they don't know what they need. And that goes along with any, uh, also we do things with different charities. It's, it's to give back to our community and that we're not just quote unquote accountants. And that, that's a big, that's big for us. Accounting with a personality. (laughs) Thank you. And Valencia closing it up. Absolutely. So I would say the, the biggest thing is to be selfless. Um, and to just having pure intentions when you're when you're meeting people, I think that's the best way to establish relationships and 
just to be in a place to serve others and again, making sure that their needs are met. And I have to agree with John that, you know, whatever you give out, you will most definitely receive back. And so um, it's better to give than to receive. And, and, you know, so that's just how I feel about it. Well, thank you. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for your advice and for our listeners. Thank you for listening in. This show is sponsored by yours truly, Anthony Chen with Lighthouse Financial. Securities and advisory services offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., RAA, member FINRA SIPC. RAA is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent of RAA. Our main office address is at 575 Broad Hollow Road in Melville, New York, 11747. You can best reach me at 631-465-9090 with extension 5075 or best through email, which is just my full name, Anthony Chen, C-H-E-N at LFM, LLC.com. Until next time, thank you for listening to Family Business Radio.